Odd Trails is a true paranormal podcast that contains adult language and can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I told a story not too long ago about moving out of a nightmare apartment. We had a house built on the opposite side of town on land that was nothing but old farmland. I thought I had done everything right. I even had a rabbi come and bless the house. I was raised Jewish. It has been about six months since we moved, but it seems like everywhere we go, something keeps happening. I will now highlight the ones that really stick out. This one, I'm really not sure what it even was, but I've seen it three times now. It started one night. I first saw this gold light fill the hallway outside of my bedroom. I tried to write it off as a trick of the eye or maybe a passing car. A few weeks later, I was sitting in the living room and all of a sudden, This bright, golden, almost sparkling-like ball of pure golden light came flying in. It was flying around my daughter's room and then disappeared down the hallway. The last time I saw it, it was the exact same appearance, still flying around my daughter's room, but this time being followed or maybe chased by a pitch-black ball. It looked like it was trying to flee from whatever was chasing it. So I kept this to myself because I didn't want to startle my wife, since this was a new house and all. But one day she was telling me about how one morning she was taking the kids to school. In front of the car was this ball of light that looked just like the one that I described floating down the road. The next strange occurrence only happened once, but still startled me. I had some weird experiences one night. I woke up to see a girl with long dark hair in a white nightgown standing next to my bed staring at my wife. It moved toward my wife, but then I blinked and it was gone. I'm a very light sleeper and any noise in the house will wake me up. On this particular night, I was woken up by what I thought was my daughter screaming. I thought maybe she was having a nightmare, so I got up from my bed, only to see something that still bothers me to this day. Standing in my laundry room was a man in a gray suit. The top of his head was above the doorpost. He had the most disturbing grin. It was almost a comical-looking smile that went all the way up his face. As soon as I saw him, He began to dissipate, almost as if he were in water, fading away. 
as he was fading away, I had an intrusive thought enter my head. This idea or thought entered my mind telling me that I was not meant to see him. It wasn't for me. Even now I feel as if someone is watching us just lurking in the shadows. The next morning I told my wife about what happened. To my surprise, she responded, You finally saw him too? She begins to tell me how she keeps seeing the same grinning man. She tells me that she's seen him in the neighbor's yard along the tree line, just standing there and watching. When she checked the side mirror to double check what she had saw, the mirror was blacked out, almost like a void. It's happened about six times now, in different places. She also gets these intrusive thoughts, but each time it's the same. I was waiting for you. I am watching. The more I try to think on it and try to remember the details, I get a migraine. There are other small things that have happened, but not really noteworthy. Every so often I'll see what looks like a shadow peeking around a corner, or move quick around the room. I just wish that I knew why these things keep happening. I don't have many spooky tales of my own to share, and I still maintain a healthy amount of skepticism when I'm with friends and we start trading ghost stories, whether our own or ones we've heard. I'll begin here by noting that although I don't think my experience is particularly frightening, it is one of the few times in my life when I was unable to find an adequate explanation for what I had seen. To give you some context, I live on a remote island in the Pacific Northwest. My connection and access to nature is such a blessing, but living on an island can be unconventional, especially because we can only travel to the mainland by ferry. Being in my mid-twenties and living in a community where the median age is also relatively high, this is kind of a bedroom community. I frequently travel to Seattle to visit friends and go on dates. The only thing that drew me to my town was a job. And since commuting would be difficult, I'm staying here for the time being because of my current employment situation. It was Halloween night in 2021. My community throws an annual Halloween costume party in the heart of town, and I was planning to go. But instead, an incredibly handsome Tinder user invited me out on a date at the last minute. So, I left the island as soon as I could. I rely on the bus because I don't have a car. Anyway... Our metro system is great, and with everything in place, I took off. I had a nice time with my date, but it was quite late, so I headed home. I got to the dock and had to wait to take the last ferry of the night back to the island. Then I would have to hike four miles back to town from the pier because the buses don't run on the island after 9 o'clock. A small price to pay for a good first date. The two-lane road we refer to as the highway which is the most direct route into town, has no streetlights, making it virtually completely dark at night without regular traffic going by. Additionally, whether or not it's a holiday, 
there is very little traffic on the highway after 10 o'clock. I was therefore most likely going to be in the dark until I got home. I have a small reflector connected to my backpack and wear a reflective jacket when I walk at night, so when combined with my flashlight, I should be fairly visible to vehicles. As I usually do, I had my headphones on as I made my way to town along the side of the road. At about the halfway mark, maybe two miles in, I noticed a pair of headlights emerging from the darkness in the distance, two bright lights, traveling at an average speed towards me. I couldn't really see the car, but I wasn't paying close attention either. A lot of people here use those obscenely bright white LED lights to help them spot deer or other wildlife crossing the road before they hit something. As it got closer, I could see that it had the shape of an SUV, but I am not sure what make or model it was. After it passed, I was back on my own in the middle of the road. I would probably be home in less than an hour. I spotted another set of headlights in the distance when I looked away from my phone. However, this time the lights were yellow and seemed to be almost dimming as the car approached the turn up ahead. They were not nearly as bright as the LEDs. These headlights faded and then grew brighter, then faded again. Not as if the driver was flashing me, it was almost as if the car was dying. My initial assumption was that the driver was experiencing electrical or engine issues, so I started paying more attention. It turns out that I was in an interesting spot, though I was not thinking of it at the time. Ahead of where I was, there's a bend in the road. Along the shoulder of the bend, there is a big ditch, and on the edge of the ditch is a rusty guardrail. Behind the guardrail is a steep drop, and what looks like the bottom of a ravine and a tangle of brush. I haven't looked closely beyond what I can see as I ride past on the bus, but from your seat by the window, you would be able to see pretty clearly that there is a steep drop beyond the guardrail. A haphazard-looking memorial for a person apparently killed in an accident stood directly in front of the guardrail. I've never gotten close enough to read who it was dedicated to, due in significant part to the island's appalling local history of drunken and irresponsible driving, there are an alarmingly large number of these types of arrangements everywhere you turn. A man walking the same route was recently struck and killed late one night by a drunk driver. He was a highly respected Vietnam veteran and loved by many. Don't be fucking lame and drink and drive. Anyway... I estimated that the vehicle with the two flimsy headlights was traveling at around the same speed as the preceding driver. I couldn't hear the engine because I didn't turn off my music. The only thing I could make out were those headlights, and the closer they came, the more dim they appeared. And just then, as the car was going to reach me, the lights abruptly went out, but there was nothing behind them. I never even noticed a car, much less a driver. All that was left once the headlights went out was me, standing by the side of the deserted road, feeling incredibly confused. I was shocked to find that the car had completely vanished, with no sign of it having gone anywhere. I quickly removed my headphones and looked around with my flashlight, reasoning that my impaired vision in the dark was to blame, and that, in reality, I hadn't noticed the car had drifted into a driveway or even wrecked. However, until a four-way crossroads about half a mile behind me 
There is nowhere for a car to turn, especially on a dime like that. Nothing except trees were on each side of me. I checked to see if the car's phantom driver might have lost control and crashed. There was no wreck anywhere, though. I didn't see anything. Since then, I've wondered if what I saw was a low-flying drone, but one would have to be large enough to resemble, at least, the front of a full-sized car driving down a dark two-lane road. In addition, I can't imagine anyone flying an expensive drone directly above the street in the dead of night. This was around one in the morning. I've relayed this tale to a few locals who claim to know of tragic collisions from before my time happening in that area. Several more, in fact, than the person memorialized at the guardrails by the ditch. I don't necessarily connect what I observed, the disappearing car, to that memorial, and I don't know the specifics of that tragedy, but the thought that I might have shared a fleeting moment with someone who never made it home and is still trying to get there makes me sad. If that's what really happened, I sincerely hope that one of these nights they reach their final destination. The following story contains some disturbing content, and it is one of the most terrifying stories we've shared on the podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Back in 1967, there were no more than five people living in my small village in Cuba. Most of them were farmers and cattle ranch workers, including my great-grandparents. My grandma, on the other hand, had other aspirations. She was very good with people and children, and she liked medicine and biology, so she became a nurse at a local hospital. The following story is my grandma's account of Sarah's disappearance and death. I'd say that it's a story of what happened to her, but I'd be lying, because nobody really knows the whole truth. Sarah was very well known in town. She was pretty and radiant and a good soul by all accounts. She was 32 years old and had never been married nor had children. Her parents had passed away years ago, so she lived all by herself in a small house near the train tracks in the outskirts of town. She never complained about her lot in life. She used to say that she'd rather be alone than in bad company. Sarah had worked at the same local grocery store as a cashier for over 10 years, and she had a reputation of being punctual and reliable as an employee. She opened the store every weekday at 6 a.m. sharp. That is until that Tuesday morning when the store would remain closed because Sarah was gone. The neighborhood that went to check on her reported that the front door was locked. After incessantly knocking and calling out without response, they kicked the door in and made their way inside of her house, fearful that she had had a stroke or worse. But they found nothing. There was no sign of a struggle. The house was clean and organized. Her bed was made and all of the lights were off. It almost looked like no one even lived there. The whole town immediately mobilized to find her. Extra policemen from nearby towns were called to help with the search, but Sarah was nowhere to be found. She had just vanished. 
So one week passed, then another, and weeks turned into months. There was a lot of speculation around town regarding her whereabouts. Some people claimed that they saw her with a man in the city. Others that dogs found her remains not far away from the train tracks. But it was all just gossip. Nobody really knew anything. So imagine the hospital staff's surprise when Sarah showed up at the front door screaming, Take me out! Take me out! at the top of her lungs, while holding her very much pregnant belly. My grandma was working that afternoon when she was startled by Sarah's screams. She and the other nurses ran towards her quickly examining her body for injuries, bruises, or cuts, but she looked unharmed. In unison, they bombarded her with questions, but Sarah kept screaming the same plea, Take me out! over and over again. Finally, one of the nurses injected her with a strong sedative, while the rest slowly laid her down on a stretcher. Sarah was taken to one of the rooms reserved for pregnancies. My grandma and another nurse named Ava were assigned to her case. They both stayed by Sarah's bed throughout the night, exchanging theories about her disappearance and her current state. They both agreed that Sarah was probably taken from her house that Tuesday, or maybe the night before, that she was probably sexually assaulted and kept against her will somewhere outside of town, that somehow she had escaped, and now she saw the baby growing in her belly as the result of the assault. They continued talking through the night as they watched Sarah's chest move up and down. When morning came, Sarah was still sleeping. Dr. Martinez, the town's OBGYN, thought this could be a good opportunity to examine her and the baby. Back then, they didn't have fancy ultrasound machines, so the doctor listened closely with his stethoscope to her belly. I can hear a heartbeat, he said. It's a strong one. Then he proceeded to measure her belly. She should be about three months pregnant, he said confidently and continued, which means that she probably wasn't pregnant when she disappeared. My grandma and Ava locked eyes and nodded. Doctor, my grandma said. Ava and I, well, well, we think she might have been assaulted and got pregnant that way, and that's why she was screaming those things yesterday. That's a possibility, Dr. Martin said as he walked towards the door. But we're just going to have to wait until she wakes up and tells us what really happened. But the story that Sarah would tell later would not answer any of these questions, and her unfortunate fate would raise many more. When Sarah woke up, she found herself in the company of two local policemen, Dr. Martinez, Ava, and my grandma. She seemed calm now, but the radiant expression that she once wore was gone. What follows is Sarah's account of that Tuesday in the months that followed. She said, I left my house at 5.30 a.m. and I was walking to work, just like I do every weekday. When I was walking past the rice fields, I heard a deafening buzzing sound. I covered my ears and I looked around, but I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. The buzzing sound intensified, so I started running. Then a white light blinded me and I felt weightless. After that, I remember feeling cold and numb like I was frozen. My ears still buzzing. I knew my eyes were open, but 
I couldn't see anything but white. Then I felt something in my stomach, like someone was pressing down on it. My eyesight was slowly adapting to the brightness and I could see shapes moving. And then I saw it. This feeling of dread and panic took over my body. I saw a hole in my stomach and a large glass tube was inserted. A glass tube filled with this red, goo-like substance that squirmed and moved inside of me. I could feel it going inside of me and filling my stomach. Then the buzzing sound and everything else just went away. When I woke up, I found myself near the rice fields on the ground. I looked down and I saw my bloated stomach, rigid to the touch, and the memories poured in. I ran over here screaming for help. I must have scared the hell out of people in town, running like a crazy person. She paused, then chuckled. But I don't know what else to do. The room was silent. My grandma recalls that everyone had this wide-eyed expression, including herself. The silence broke when one of the policemen asked Sarah how long she thought she had been gone for. With a puzzled look, she responded that she wasn't sure, maybe a few hours, if she had to guess. Dr. Martinez held Sarah's hand and sat by her bedside. After getting a nod of approval from one of the policemen, she proceeded to tell Sarah that she didn't show up that Tuesday at the store that the whole town had been looking for her for weeks and that she had been gone for almost three months. Sarah started crying inconsolably, repeating over and over that he was lying to her. It took another dose of sedative to calm her down. After her case was reported, the Capitol's hospital sent their best psychiatrist. He diagnosed her with some kind of mental disorder, most definitely brought by being sexually assaulted kidnapped, and impregnated by her attacker. He reported that her memories were a defense mechanism, designed to cover the horrors that she must have endured. He instructed that the staff pump her with heavy antidepressants and, if necessary, keep her sedated. Indeed, during the following months, they would have to keep Sarah sedated and strapped to the bed most of the time. My grandma recalls that Whenever she wasn't sedated or restrained, she would try to harm herself or the baby, who she continued to call it, thing, or parasite. She would roll out of bed and fall on her belly or bang her head against the wall repeatedly. She would also refuse to eat or drink water. On one occasion, she grabbed a pair of scissors from one of the trays and tried to stab herself while my grandma was changing her head bandages. Sarah would keep telling this same strange story of what happened to her until the day of her even stranger death. A few days before Sarah's due date, my grandma was tending to another patient when she heard a horrified scream coming from Sarah's room. She ran over there only to find Ava standing by the door sobbing with her hands covering her mouth. My grandma walked towards Sarah's bed. Her wrists were still strapped to it. Her eyes were open and blank. She was dead. Dr. Martinez came running in shortly after. He had also heard Ava's screams. He frantically placed the stethoscope on her chest, but there was no heartbeat. He moved the disc-shaped resonator towards her belly, but again there was no heartbeat. We need to get this baby out, he shouted. Ava and my grandma 
scrambled out of the room to get the necessary instruments and returned in a flash. Dr. Martinez proceeded to cut Sarah's round stomach and then suddenly stopped. His scalpel made a loud noise when it fell to the floor. His hands were trembling, his face in shock. There is no baby, he muttered. Sarah's cause of death was filed by the medical examiner as natural cause, although there was nothing natural about it. The baby, or lack of baby, that is, was attributed to a hysterical pregnancy and the wrong diagnosis. It was possible that Dr. Martinez had confused Sarah's own heartbeat with the baby's, and he couldn't recall actually feeling the baby kicking. But my grandma swears that she did, and so did Ava. They would regularly check for the baby's kicks, since Sarah spent so much time under sedatives. They always reported that the baby was, by all accounts, alive and well. I asked my now 74-year-old grandma her honest opinion regarding what happened to Sarah. I mentioned to her that Sarah's story could be classified as some kind of alien abduction encounter. She says that although she doesn't believe in aliens, she believed Sarah, and that she still believes that she was pregnant. The rest, we simply can't explain. I wanted to submit this story because it's one that I love to tell, and it was a shared experience among many people, so I know it wasn't just me. I hope you enjoy it. My story starts in 2008, in a small town in rural Maryland. It's the kind of town you'd find in a Hallmark movie. Small town, tight-knit community, everyone knows everyone, and it's hard to keep a secret. Growing up, the local elementary and middle schools were right next to each other, with the high school just across the street. Just like every other small town, gossip spread rapidly, but because of the way the schools were set up, this meant the students were all mingling on the buses, during clubs, and before and after school every day. So school rumors were quite literally spread like the plague. We honestly had nothing better to do, and there was always something juicy. This person was throwing a party, these two just broke up, this one cheated on this one, the usual teenage drama. Well, in the winter of 2008, a rumor started going around from the high school that shocked and appalled the entire town. Like all high schools, there were teachers at our school who were the favorites among the student body, the cool teachers, the ones who joked around with you, the ones who were reasonable when it came to assignments and classwork. Those were the teachers that everyone loves. For the sake of the story, I'm going to refer to this teacher as Mr. Smith to protect his identity. Mr. Smith was a younger teacher compared to the rest of the staff, maybe in his mid to late thirties. He was also extremely handsome and was very popular among the girls. Students fought each year to claim a spot in his class. I was in middle school when this original rumor started so I never got a chance to meet Mr. Smith, but like I said, 
He was hands down everyone's favorite teacher. That year, a student, who we will call Mary, came forward with information that appalled the schools and entire community. Mary came forward and admitted that she and Mr. Smith were having a sexual affair. Mary was only a junior at the time, so she was definitely underage. I was sick to my stomach when I heard about it. How was this possible? Was she really sleeping with Mr. Smith? Nothing like this ever happened in our small town, and to say that people were disgusted is an understatement. Immediately, people took Mary's side. Why wouldn't they? What would Mary gain from being dishonest? Mr. Smith was immediately fired from his position, and the local sheriff's office launched an investigation. Mr. Smith was arrested for statutory rape and a few other charges that I just can't remember. As this was happening, people were swarming to Mary to offer their support. She was hailed a hero for standing up and speaking her truth. She was on the local news outlets, she was giving interviews to local papers, and she was this local celebrity. She was the girl that took down this evil man. She spoke out when no one else would. As the investigation against Mr. Smith continued, the rumor mill was turning and everyone had heard that Mr. Smith's wife left him, she took their kids from him, and his family had turned him away. Rightfully so. He took advantage of a young and impressionable girl. He should be alone. At least, that's what the whole town was saying. It wasn't long before police started questioning Mary. Maybe her story was changing and maybe some things weren't adding up on her end but the police started doubting her a little bit. She had this weird fame amongst the town and had gained quite a bit of attention. Colleges started reaching out to her to give her full-ride scholarships for her bravery. But something wasn't right. After a month or so, I can't really remember because this was so long ago, there was more news about Mr. Smith. It was discovered by his neighbor that in light of his charges and his stance in the court of public opinion, Mr. Smith had committed suicide. This garnered a pretty split response. Some people felt it was a tragic loss, and others felt that he was a coward for taking advantage of and having sex with a student, but not facing the legal consequences of his actions. With this, the sheriff's office began questioning Mary for more concrete details. They were doubting her and needed her to tell the truth. Well, it wasn't long before they got it. Rumor says that Mary broke down in the interrogation chair of the sheriff's office and admitted that the whole thing was a lie. He had never taken advantage of her. There was no student-teacher love affair happening. She had lied. This sent tidal waves of anger and disbelief through the town. I remember going silent when I heard the news. No one could believe it. We all just wanted to know why. Why do this? Why ruin a man's life? Why? Well, it wasn't long before Mary was facing charges of her own, and she was never seen again. No one wanted to talk to her or about her. Her family moved away, and our town moved on. Fast forward to my senior year of high school, spring 2014. My homeroom was in the library, and the librarian, who was my homeroom teacher, was also my volleyball coach, so we had a pretty good relationship. We can call him Mr. Collins. One day, Mr. Collins called me and the three other seniors over to his desk. Did you guys hear what happened here last night? He asked us. He was talking in hushed tones, 
and was leaning in really close like he was telling us a secret. None of us knew what he was talking about, so of course our interests were piqued. Well, the school alarm went off. Anytime that happens, the principal and a police officer have to come and do a sweep of the building to see if anyone broke in. They got here last night and no one was here, until they checked the cameras this morning. Mr. Collins turned his laptop screen to us all. It showed a paused security video from what looked like the school's history hallway, and it was time-stamped at around 2.15 in the morning. This is what set the alarms off last night. Watch closely. The four of us leaned in intently, and our mouths dropped open simultaneously. On the film was a man leaving a classroom with a briefcase, but as he gets closer to the camera, you notice that he has no legs and is transparent. From the waist up, he was wearing a blazer, dress shirt, and a tie. And I'm sure you're wondering which room this ghost came out of. He came out of room E3, Mr. Smith's old history classroom. For context, I live in what is often called a flyover state in the U.S. So there are large stretches where there are just fields. And the highway that I was on was in an area where there's hardly anything for miles. My parents were visiting a neighboring town to see some friends. And I had to be in the same town visiting my own friends. So we all decided that we would just meet up. And then I would follow them home since I live with them and wasn't as familiar with the back roads as my dad. All was well for the first half hour until we passed through Stoll, just past Lawrence. For those who don't know, Stoll Cemetery is rumored to be a gate to hell and home to a lot of unexplained phenomena. It was here that I lost sight of my parents' car in front of me. I chalked it up to driving at night. Maybe I had just lost them and I pulled over and pulled up directions on my phone, then made my way home. I got there to find that my parents were frantic. I had been gone for three hours. My last recollection was being directly behind them. I was absolutely unaware of how much time had passed, and I have no idea what happened in those three hours. I can't even remember what music was on, although I'm pretty obsessive about setting up playlists. My parents did attempt to call, and it was reflected in both of their records on their phones, but I didn't receive any calls on my phone. It doesn't show any missed calls, anything. I honestly cannot account for where I was or what happened. Any ideas? So I was really hoping for a beam of light to shoot down from the sky just so we could jump to the very professional conclusion that this was aliens. Yeah, uh, as a professional podcaster that knows nothing about nothing, it's my professional opinion that this was aliens. Missing time is always aliens. Oh, good, good. But I will say that the three hours that went unaccounted for, that's a long time just to pull over, take your GPS out, and then get back on the road. And they had cell service to use their phone map, so it's also strange that their parents couldn't reach them for that whole time. That is strange. I remember 
when I was younger, when I got my first cell phone, it was one of those Nokia brick cell phones. I yes. was probably 17 years old. I, I want one again. Me too. They're so hard to find. Well, actually, you can, I don't even think you can use them anymore, right? Because the frequencies are different on new cell phones. Maybe. I'm not a cell phone guy. I'm just a podcaster and a warehouse manager. So what do I know? <laughs> well, I remember having my, my first Nokia brick phone. And if my parents couldn't get a hold of me, you know, within 10 minutes of calling and texting me, if I didn't respond. Oh, they'd shit all over your bed? Oh. <laughs> the police were out to find me, man. Like, really? They, not not actually, but oh. it was to the point that they were panicking. They were calling other people like, hey, have you seen Andrew? Well, I, they actually showed up to, di- like, I remember going to a show, watching a band play at the teen center, and they were calling me, and I couldn't hear them over the music. And they literally showed up to the show because they thought what? something was wrong. That's how paranoid my parents were. But this doesn't make any sense that their parents couldn't get a hold of them, or they couldn't get a hold of their parents. For this, it's just three hours where there was no contact whatsoever. How does that happen? Well, I think the rational conclusion is just probably something with the cell towers. Who's to say? But it's it's fun to say it was missing time in aliens. But nonetheless, three hours is a long time just to go missing. Uh, I'm sure the author would account for that. It does not take that long just to pull the maps up and get back on the road. Yeah. Um, it, it's strange nonetheless. Oh, speaking of strange, I got to tell you about a dream I had last night. I love dreams. So we were actually at our hotel getting ready for the Midsummer Scream convention mm-hmm. coming soon. And uh, there was this YouTuber guy. He was like a fitness dude. He doesn't exist, but in the dream he existed. Okay. And he was he was shacking up with us for some reason. Sexy. Well, you would think, but this guy was uh, he was obnoxious as hell. But you were you were so defensive of him being there. You're like telling me like you like pulled me aside into the hallway, like put your hands on my shoulders, got like nose to nose, like listen, you got to show this guy some respect. He has almost <laughs> a million subscribers. I'm like, since when do you care about that? Since when do you care about, never that? Cared about that? Exactly, exactly. I'm just like, okay, cool. And then we go back in the room and this dude's in his underwear doing like those clapping push-ups. And, <laughs> and I just rolled my eyes and walked out. And then you like started calling me like, dude, you pissed him off. What's wrong with you? Oh, that reminds and, me of Patrick Bateman doing his creepy oh, workouts yeah. in his underwear while watching mm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, at least this YouTuber wasn't wearing an ice mask, though. He probably did have a facial mask on, though. Have you ever tried one of those? They don't peel off like they're supposed to. At least according no, they, to the American they Psycho. they come off in like pieces and they're sticky and your yeah. skin actually feels kind of gross afterwards. Like, you have to wash it again. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the masks, but I do like I the ice either. masks on the on Ice the masks are good. Eyes. Yeah. I have to use those. I actually freeze up spoons sometimes to put underneath my, my raccoon buttholes that I have for eyes. Um, <laughs> but I just use CeraVe cleanser and moisturizer who cares about this but i'm putting no, it no, out no, there. this is good talk this is good talk i use cerave too really it's so gentle it's it perfect yeah, yeah it doesn't irritate my skin and i'm never missing time oh that's an added bonus have you been <laughs> abducted yet well i don't think any of us knows if we've been abducted because we've probably been our memories probably been wiped that's why we have missing time i think that the aliens wipe your memory and that's why we have these hypnosis these regression sessions i was just about to say yeah we need to do some travis walker shit and see if maybe it's happened to us exactly we should do that that should be a special that we did for the podcast we could do uh Mm -hmm. hypnosis regression or whatever it's called regression therapy yeah and maybe see if we were abducted i don't know how that works but 
it you know these people that have missing time they seem to be able to recall under hypnosis all of these alien abduction stories that happened to them you can find tons of them on youtube or on other podcasts yeah. old radio shows like on uh coast to coast I, th- I think that would be cool we should look into that if anybody knows a hypnotist or therapist that could work with this on something like this that would be awesome we'd love to do that and if you're a scientologist and you got some magic up your sleeve <laughs> i'm being sincere please just cover the overhead costs <laughs> yeah anyways thanks everyone for listening we hope you guys enjoy this week's episode this week you have heard things keep happening by the jewish viking 1064 the phantom car by paul possible alien abduction encounter or sarah's story by rose b creepin haunted high school by caroline And finally, Where Was I by K.S. Ghostly Girl. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget, we're going to be at the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention at the Long Beach Convention Center on July 30th to tell some live stories in person. We hope to see you all there. Links will be in the show notes. And don't forget to join our Patreon if you want to get ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher bitrate for the best listening quality experience. We'll see you all next week for a brand new episode. Stay safe. Peace out.